First um, Samuel chapter 17, and it's a familiar verse, two verses that I want to uh, look at tonight. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 48, and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon the face, his face to the earth. I want you to take a look um, there on verse 48 at the last part of the, the, the verse. It says, and David hasted and he ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And then the start of verse 49, it says, and David put his hand in his bag. Let me tell you, that's a big statement to me right there in verse 49. He put his hand in his bag. I mean, he already knew in his heart that this giant was going down. So he drew, he drew in faith. And I believe that that's our problem today in today's day and age is that we as Christians will believe God to a certain point, but we're not willing to draw. We won't put our hand in our bag. That's the difference. That's what set David apart was he put his hand in his bag. He meant business. While everybody else just stood there and looked at this giant, they knew it was a problem. And they said, oh, you know, there ain't no solution to this. Militarily wise, expert wise, we don't have a solution to this. But here comes this young, ruddy little uh, uh, a little young man comes believing in his heart, and he, he draws down on this, this giant. So um, the title of my sermon tonight, I hope to be a blessing and a help to you, is his hand in his bag. We need some Christians with, some ha- with their hands in their bag. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church and all that they've meant to me and to the, the, the people that invested in my life. Lord, may I return somewhat of an investment tonight and be a blessing. Uh, speak to our hearts, Lord, and step on our toes here a little bit, Lord. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the early 1900s, there came a telegram for a, a Dr. Louis Ensminger from a Dr. J. Frank Norris. He said, would you consider coming as superintendent of First Baptist Sunday School, Fort Worth, to build the largest Sunday school in the world at same salary you are receiving there? At the time when this telegram came in, there was about 21 church members there in First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, Texas. And Dr. J. Frank Norris was basically putting his hand in his bag. He believed God. And when it was all said and done, there was over 25,000 church members there in First Baptist of Fort Worth, Texas. I remember uh, Dr. Jack Hiles when he went up to Hammond, Indiana. I never got to meet Dr. Hiles, but I've learned so much from Dr. Hiles through the books that he left. And Dr. Hiles... He went up there to Hammond, Indiana, and they had no buses. And he said, well, we want to start a bus ministry. So he, he called the secretary over, and they began praying for buses. And then somebody invested a little bit of money, and they bought six old buses. And they said, well, we prayed for two new buses, so we need to keep praying. And they kept praying, and shortly after, here came two new buses to the church. What Brother Hiles was doing was he was putting his hand in his bag. That's what he was doing. You see, Peter, when Peter saw his Savior walking on the water, he said, um, he said, bid me to come unto thee. And he basically walked right over there and he put his leg over that rail. He was basically putting his hand in his bag, if you would. You had Elijah. Elijah had just soaked the altar and he was coming up against the 450 prophets of Baal. And now science wise, you're not supposed to wet something you're about to light. 
And he goes and he dumps water all over it. And right there in front of God and everybody, he starts praying that God would send down fire. What he was doing, he was putting his hand in his bag. Oh, Elisha, when Elisha saw his mentor had gone up in the chariot of fire and he saw the mantle fall, he went over there and he took that mantle and he smote the waters. Now, mind you, what do you think would have happened when you smite the water? Nothing's going to happen. But when God's in, it's a different story. He was putting his hand in his bag. He was trusting God to do the same miracles through him that his predecessor had done. Oh, Moses. Uh, Moses, uh, he, um, um, let me go ahead. I don't think I prayed. Let me go ahead and. Did I even pray? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this sermon. Thank you for, uh, 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 no, I think I did pray. I'm not sure. Well, let's go ahead and pray again. You can't go wrong with it. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this church, Lord, and uh, bless this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I lost my mind here. You can't go wrong with praying again, so uh, I'm covered. Now, I think I did pray, but I lost my mind here. So, Elisha, he took that mantle. And he smote the waters. He put his hand in his bag. Oh, Moses, Moses, God said, hey, take that rod. Tell Aaron, take that rod and throw it on the ground and let it become a serpent. It's going to become a serpent. What do you think? He went up in front of royalty and he took this staff and he could, he could have just thrown that stick right in front of the royalty. What do you think that would have done to him? The bodyguards or everybody would have come over and grabbed him and says, get out of here. Stop wasting his time. But he didn't do that. He trusted God. He said it's going to become a serpent, and he cast it in front. What he was doing, he was putting his hand in his bag, is what he was doing. Oh, Samson, Samson had some hard knocks. You know, his eyes had been put out, and he was grinding at the wheel, and all of a sudden, he took hold of those two pillars, and he bowed down upon them. He didn't know. He didn't know for sure if that strength was back, but he prayed. He got right with God. Some of us, we've, we've, we, we've slipped. We've fallen. But you ought to go back to God. You ought to get close to God. Yeah, that very strong arm of God that can judge us, get in close to that God and let him have mercy on you and on your life. Where is your childlike faith tonight that believes God can do something great here in Jacksonville? Well, if you won't put your hand in your bag, you ain't going to see nothing. Christian, put your hand in your bag. Oh, soul winners, do you run hastily from door to door or do you put your hand in your bag expecting God to save a soul? Oh, choir members, do you just run hastily from note to note or do you put your hand in your bag and sing to God hoping it might touch someone's heart? Oh, Sunday school teacher, do you just run hastily over the lesson or do you put your hand in the bag and prepare intently for the precious ears that have to listen to you on Sunday morning? Oh, bus worker, do you just run hastily through your route? Or do you put your hand in the bag and try to get every creature on board to come hear the gospel preach? Folks, we need some Christians who are going to believe God, who are going to draw down on the devil, who are going to take, hey, you know what those stones were? Everybody's always wondering, what if he had a mist? What if he hadn't hit him on the head? Well, let me tell you something. Those stones are nothing but the word of God. The word of God doesn't miss. Right. You understand that? Go ahead and launch. That thing got that thick liberal in the skull right there, and he fell down on his face. You see these giants walking around here? They're so smart for God. They're too big for their britches. God will deal with them like he deals with all the rest of them. What they didn't understand was that it wasn't just the children of Israel on this side of the mount. They didn't realize that, that God who was on their side 
who looked at them and was laughing. He sitteth in the heavens and he laughs at them. They didn't realize David's God. Um, so this, this evening, I want to give you three things that will help you have faith like David. Number one, adversity will help you have faith. Oh, we don't like that word, adversity. You see, when uh, the giant came, he came to Shoko. If you look in Joshua, in Joshua, Shoko belonged to the children of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin of Judah. That was the deed on there. That was Israel's property. And the giant came up to his doorstep, and he started cursing their God. You understand, Christian? You have to, you have to see this. It don't matter if you're doing something for God or you're not. You're going to have a problem from the devil. He's going to come to your doorstep. He's going to bring a fight to you daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And you can ignore that giant like everybody else. Or you can go do something about it. And um, so this giant shows up. And here's adversity. And everybody, they were afraid. I mean, look at 1 Samuel 17, 1. 1 Samuel 17, 1. The Bible says, now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko. That was of the tribe of Judah, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Ezekiel in Esdemon. Now look at uh, verse 24. Verse 24, the Bible says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. They didn't want to deal with the problem. They just said, you know, let it be. It's a problem. But David, he took matters into his hands and he trusted God and he went and dealt with it. Folks, you can't ignore problems. You have to deal with them. You have to face problems. You have to trust God to help you with every problem that comes your way. Whether it's a financial problem, whether it's a spiritual problem, whatever problem you have in this life, you have to be able to trust God to help you with that problem. You don't need to look at yourself. David didn't look at himself. He was nothing compared to that giant. He was small in stature. He wasn't experienced. He was a shepherd. Oh, they scoffed at him when he showed up to the battle. They're like, oh, you just want to see the battle. You just want to look at you. I know the pride in your heart. They were just deriding him. They were ridiculing him, but he had a faith in God. And adversity will help you have faith. Those that were supposed to be on his side weren't. Look at verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. These people were supposed to be on his side. I mean, come on. You don't think they should have had a problem with the giant, but they had a bigger problem with David. Folks, let's check our own hearts that we're not like that. When somebody wants to surrender to preach, don't get critical. When somebody preach, preaches a dud, don't get critical. When somebody doesn't preach as good as you think they ought to preach, don't you, don't you worry about that. Why don't you step up back up here and watch God do something with you? Uh, uh, maybe whether it's somebody's out there winning souls, don't get critical about that. Or somebody's doing something for God and they step out and say, well, I'm going to go to such and such mission field. Well, you trust, you trust God, he'll do something with them. And you pray for them and you help him. Don't you be a, a bucket of cold water, you know? And we, we get like that. we got to be careful about that. They would rather have opposed David than to see the giant go down. That's sad. That was the condition of these folks. They were like, oh, what are you doing here? You know, oh, oh Ishmael. Ishmael was the son of a bondwoman, and Isaac was the son of a free woman. And Ishmael was mocking Isaac. 
And even to this day, this present day, that is still true. You're going to get ridiculed if you try to do anything. If you come up to show up for, to fight, you're going to get some opposition. You might as well. Don't worry about ridicule. And for those that are doing the ridicule, check yourself. Check. Make sure you're not opposing God and the enemy and God's work. God will use a young little ruddy nobody. And that's what he did there. And maybe they knew his failures as a child. You could, maybe Eliab knew David's failures, but it wasn't his responsibility to remind him. That yeah, was God's responsibility to. He'll take care of David, not old Eliab and all these other brothers who wouldn't do nothing. I mean, they had all the armor. They had it sitting right there in the tent in the armory, and they would, nobody would go and pick it up and actually go do something. But then somebody comes in, and they're immediate to criticize. That's how it is this day and age. You might as well settle in your heart. If you're going to do something for God, you're going to get ridiculed. You're going to get opposed. You're going to get the naysayers. They're going to come. But just go ahead and trust God anyways. Do something. You know, what do you have to lose? What does this world have to offer? I mean, has this world offered you anything? I think we've all can answer that question very fairly. They don't offer nothing to us. They don't care about us. You know, don't worry about failures. Oh, I remember the story of a young pilot on his first solo flight. Now came the landing. I remembered exactly what movements I had to make. I acted mechanically and the machine moved quite differently from what I expected. I lost my balance. I made some wrong movement, stood on my head, and I succeeded in covering my airplane into converting my airplane into a battered school bus. I was very sad, looked at the damage which I had done to the machine, which after all was not very great and had to suffer from other people's jokes. Two days later, I went with passion at the flying, and suddenly I could handle the apparatus. Manfred von Richthofen, the Red Baron. You know, sometimes you're going to make mistakes, but get up and try again. Do it again. Um, adversity helped David put his hand in his bag. Oh, D.L. Moody. At the time of D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey, they put together a hymn book. They were putting together a lot of hymn books. But D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey's hymn book actually stuck. And it started to spread like wildfire. And they immediately started to accuse him. And they said, oh, he took all the monies, the millions of dollars. He took it and he embezzled it. He kept it for himself. And oh, the, he was back in Chicago and he couldn't defend himself in Scotland where they were accusing him. But oh, um, he held on. And uh, his lawyer, who wasn't even a Christian, came forward and said, I have personally seen to it that they have not touched a single thing. All these accusations are baseless. All of them are false. And God gave Deal Moody a stronger grasp of Scotland with those accusations than he could have ever had without those accusations. You know, sometimes we don't understand why we let the devil, why God allows the devil to hit us the way he does. But he's got a plan in motion. So we got to remember adversity will help you have faith. Number two, experience will help you have faith. David had a resume of victories in his past. Look at verse 34. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. And smote him and slew him. You see, folks, we got the, the, the best way to get momentum in this thing is to get some victories behind you, under your belt. 
You know, go, if you want to get excited about soul winning, go win a soul. When you see one soul saved, oh, you want to get two. Oh, you want to get three. Oh, you want to get four. Oh, you remember old Crazy Moody? They would see him walking down the street, and he'd be looking at anybody he could possibly speak to about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we got to be. You get one victory under your belt, get another one, get another one, keep getting them. And those experiences will help you draw down when the moment comes. David was already tried and true. He had already fought a bear and a lion. And those victories helped him draw down when the moment came. Um, I, uh, a couple years back, you know, when I, I, I knew I was, we was going to go to the mission field, um, so the Lord put something interesting in my heart. He said, I was out soul winning, and I felt in my heart, is that God said, you know, and I was thinking about the mission field and where we were going to be working, and, uh, you know, God put on my heart, hey, you need to get an airplane. You're going to get an airplane and you're going to use it out there and go soul winning with it and, you know, go preach and do all these things. Now, immediately I told a few people this and it didn't go over well. You know, immediately they're like, oh, what does this guy think? You know, is he going to start wasting money? Is he going to do this? So uh, needless to say, long long story short, um, this summer I told Brother Ross, let's go up to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Let's go take a look at some airplanes. And so we went up there and we spent uh, walking around 12,000 airplanes and we were just praying. I was just praying the verse where Jesus said, um, loose, that, loose, loose this colt for the Lord hath need of him. Because we, we want an airplane to take soul winners with Jesus in their heart, take them to and fro to go win people to Christ. And uh, so I kept saying, loose, that, loose this coat, loose this coat. And I'm like, well, I can't tell somebody this because if I say loose your airplane, they might say, hey, you know, put me in the slammer or something like that. Uh, so I was like, all right, I don't have it quite all figured out, but I know the Lord had me to pray for it. So we're sitting there praying for it. And long story short, we end up, we get sent off to uh, Moultrie, Georgia. We drive through the night praying. We get there. We get to the mall factory. It was the airplane we were, we were considering at the time. It was a four-seat tail draggers where we were praying, praying and praying. Give us a four-seat tail dragger, God. And uh, we get there, and uh, the president's a Christian. And we're sitting there looking at airplanes, and he takes us down to one of the new malls. And the, I looked at the price tag, $400,000. I'm sitting here like, is this guy out of his mind? Does he not know I'm an independent Baptist missionary? We don't have whatever kind of dollars he thinks, he's, you know. I'm like, where is the place in the back that has that rust bucket little thing? And we're going to get that mule going, you know. And he's like, hey, hey, hey. he comes over to me and, and Brother Ross right next to me. And he's like, so how much you think, you know, you, you have to spend towards it? And I'm sitting here like, he has no idea. I have zero going to this. This is, I'm expecting God to give it to me, but I can't tell the president of this company here. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so anyways, we leave, and, and uh, as we're leaving, he comes out, and he runs after, and he, like, knocks on my, the president of the company. And, I mean, they own that old airport there. I mean, the thing is huge. They've been in business for over 60 years, 7,500 airplanes up in the air. And he, here he is knocking on our window, and he's like, oh, brother, I just want to pray right now that God will give you that, you know, that airplane, wherever it is. And uh, so we prayed for it. Well, long story short, God gave us an airplane. He gave us a four-seat tail dragger. Now, he gave it to us at 85% ready. That 15%, a little parts in the engine and a couple of the landing gear parts, and we were trying to tally all all this stuff up, and basically they said to get an engine for this thing, it was going to cost us $18,000 to overhaul it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, here they come with these prices again, $18,000. 
I mean, we have an engine sitting right there, but you need 18,000 to overhaul it. So everybody starts immediately, they start saying, Don't, you're going to waste too much money on this airplane. Don't go for it. So here they come, the experts again. And I felt in my heart, and I said, well, you know what? I know what we're doing this for. We're going to go win souls. We're going to go preach the gospel. And God's going to get this airplane ready. So we would go to sleep at night, not having a clue how we were going to do it. Well, I just want to give you a praise, a praise report that tonight we made a deal with a North Carolina guy, and we're going up there. And he crashed his, and he broke the crankshaft on his. And all the parts that we need for our airplane, we're getting them out of steel, absolute steel. And we have to get up there as quickly uh, as possible to get the airplane parts. This airplane will be, they, they estimated that it would take years. And in the best case scenario, six to eight months to get this airplane ready. I said, we don't have that time. I'm going to the mission field. This airplane has to catch up to us. And now, um, I, I believe... Personally, y'all pray with us. I believe that airplane will be right at the start of the year, January. It's going to be ready. Ready to go. We're going to be putting the, 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 the paint job, the, the interior refabric, uh, reupholstered and all that. I mean, God has just, he has been, I mean, he is in it. If you're willing to draw, put your hand in that bag and trust God. Oh, man, I just can't. I'm just blown away by the things that God will do. And you have to personally see that, that you have to you have to put your hand in your bag. You got to get one of them stones and you got to trust God on this thing here. Um, So um, David had a resume of victories in the past. Get some victories behind you. Get some victories. And then I mean, think about it. Has God ever failed you in the past? No. So trust him. I mean, has God ever forsaken you? I don't think so. So believe him. You know, go soul winning. Go get some people saved. You know, start believing. Get out of your comfort zone and join the fight. Don't sit back and just watch every, you know, criticize the one person who decides to come up out of the whole army. Every one of us should have that same spirit of David and be willing to do something in this church. We're about to go to a new property. Are you, are you going there critical and cynical at heart? Are you ready to get behind pastor and do this? Let's go win some souls. I mean, he's putting us in a great spot, but it's all on us to deal with the issues in our heart. And if we don't do something about it, we're going to waste the opportunity. We're not going to do nothing. And it's the same thing I tell myself. I'm not going to Nicaragua thinking about all the wars and all that stuff going on there. I'm thinking about how good my Savior's been. I'm, I'm thinking about how hard he hits. He hits a lot harder than I do. So I trust him. And we're going to go out there and we're going to make a mess. We're going to do something. Um, uh, experience helped David put his hand in his bag. My last one here. Excitement will help you have faith. You know, sometimes we lose that excitement in this Christian life. We need to get it back. Where is it? You know, David was excited. Look at verse 22. This one just hurt me. I literally wanted to get in the pages of the Bible and go punch every one of them. I mean, look at them. It says, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. Think about that child. He went, he ain't never been in the military. He doesn't know what a salute is. He'd never marched. He'd never drilled. He'd never done anything. And he went in there and he saluted his brethren. He was excited. And look what his brothers responded. And as he talked with them, behold, there came, you know, that's not even the verse. But when David came up there and he saluted them, they didn't treat him good. 
They didn't care for him. They're like, look at this little boy. Look at this guy. He's not a soldier. He's not a military. He'd never been here. He's supposed to be back over there. They treated him like dirt. And sometimes in our churches, that's how we get. Somebody wants to do something for God, and all of a sudden, we're just like, oh, pfft. We find everything negative we possibly can about why they can't do it. You know, we ought not to be that way. We ought to be, we ought to be doing what they're doing. We ought to be going up there into the fight. We should all be fighting to get up in the front and fight this giant to deal with the problem. We should never, ever be a bucket of cold water on somebody. You see some of these young folks want to do something for God, and you've been a Christian for 30 years. Well, do something. Show them something. Get excited. You know, we can't just sit here and ride on our on these. Oh, well, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Well, how many souls have you won? Go soul winning. Go do something for God. Get a fire inside your heart. Oh, I was thinking about my boy. My boy was sitting in my he's uh, he's not even two years old. And he came up and he grabbed my stopwatch. I got a, like an old P.E. stopwatch and I use it to time myself with my Bible reading and all that. He he just got a hold of it. And he just started smashing buttons. I mean, furiously. He had no clue what a stopwatch was. And I sat there and thought to myself, oh, all, all, you know, as we get older, we say, oh, that's just a stopwatch. That's for discipline. It ain't as fun as you think it is, little boy. You know, we start getting all negative about it. But he says, and he's like, it's, it's something. Let me do something with it. That's what my little boy is. These are smashing buttons. Well, folks, that's how we need to be in this Christian life. Hey, you, you got faith. Don't, faith should not be a wet rag, a cold, wet rag. Oh, oh believe in God. Yeah, God's going to do something. And we sing these hymns and we go so routinely and so rotten on the inside. We just go through the motions and we don't care about nothing. We don't have a tear in the eye. We don't care about nothing. We just, oh, oh we're going to church. excitement. Don't give me any of your expertise. God doesn't need your expertise. He needs your naivety. He needs your childishness. He needs your foolishness because he'll do something with your foolishness. He can't do nothing with your expertise. Dump it. You know, you ever seen those guys that are driving the, the pickup truck and they, they take their cans and they throw them in the back there? Hey, take your expertise and throw it in the back. You know, no, those guys are sloppy. I don't know what their deal is. Then they go hit somebody in the car driving behind them. I mean, I, that's not a good habit. But anyways, do that. Take, take your expertise and chuck it out the side. Take your, all of us have doubt. Doubt is as much a part of faith. Hey, 
Faith is going and doing it anyways. You got that doubt. It's a part of the human nature. We all got it. But just get in the habit. Get some victories. Get excited. You know, they didn't try to solve the problem. They just had to criticize David. That's all they did. No, let's get excited. See, David, look at verse uh, 24. Look at verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have ye seen this man that has come up surely to defy Israel? Is he come up? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and will make his, his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There they were telling them, You'll be rich, you'll be royalty. You get the king's daughter, you get all that. But David didn't care about that. David cared more about God and country. He cared about him talking about Israel like that. He said, who's going to take this reproach out? See, David was about a cause. The rest of them were about themselves. But David was Israel. My God, how can this giant stand there and defy the God of Israel? Where's that spirit in us? Is that lost in today's day and age? Is everyone a lover of themselves? It is scary because sometimes it does. You look on the news and you look around and everyone loves themselves. But what about loving others? Loving others as yourself. You know, oh, David put him, he put his own life at risk for everyone there who didn't even want him. Can you think about that? He was willing to give up his whole life. For a bunch of people who just didn't even help him, he went up there and he fought that battle. And that's, we need that kind of sacrificial Christians again. You know, they just love others. They want to do something for others. It's not all about getting glory for ourselves. They're like, oh, you'd be rich if you do it. David said, well, who's going to take the reproach off from Israel? He cared about his country. And I think we should care about, we should care about our Savior like that. We should, we should care that he hung up on that cross for all those sinners out there, you know, and invest ourselves, our time, our efforts, everything uh, uh, for, for that cause, that greater cause. You know, I, when I was in the Marines at night in Paris Island, they would have us, they would have one, one recruit stand up and he would just read stories of, of people who gave up their lives during Vietnam and World War II. And they were just basically indoctrinating us that that's the standard. You know, there was guys in Vietnam that they were with their platoon and somebody tossed a little old grenade there. I don't know if you've ever seen how, what a, the devastation that a grenade can do. It can do a lot of damage. And they would just throw themselves on it, thinking of their brothers. 18-year-old, he hadn't even lived life. And he would just jump for, for an America, for a bunch of people who could even criticize him. Oh, you, you know, calling them all kinds of names and all that stuff. I mean, people have given their life for America, Come on. People have given their life for our Baptist heritage. You know, what, do, what does it mean to us? What are we going to do about it? You know, we got to keep. David thought about that excitement when the victory was coming. He was the only one to believe, but it only took one. And all it takes tonight is one person to believe that God will give the victory. And it's a done deal. You know, who's willing to put 
their hand in their bag tonight. And this next year, as you plan your year out or you don't plan your year out, would you think about putting your hand in your bag and drawing down for God? Do something you've never done before. Take on a battle you've never taken on before. Get out of your comfort zone. Do something for God. It don't matter. There's nothing too small that you can do for God. There ain't nothing. I always said, you know, God, God wants me to preach, fine. But if God wants me to vacuum, I'm going to vacuum real good. I'm going to vacuum as, and I'll spend a couple extra hours vacuuming. Because you know what? Vacuuming is as much as good as preaching. It don't make any difference to me or whether it's gardening or whether it's singing a song. You know, I haven't sung much on solos because you, you guys probably don't want to hear me sing solos. But, you know, I'm willing, I try to remind myself that I'd be willing to do anything for God. And we ought to think that way. We ought to always be ready to go up and do something for God. So remember, um, his hand in his bag. Remember, the adversity will help your faith to draw down for God. Experience will help your faith. And excitement will help you have faith. Remember who's on our side. Don't ever forget that. It's easy to forget it. And you start thinking, it's just the Bible. It's just pages. It's just letter. It's just print. It's just manufactured, publisher. And you stop, you stop forgetting that this is forever settled in heaven. This is the word of God. You can try your best shot to make this book fail, but it won't. It cannot fail. These promises are true. Get a hold of those promises and take on some giants in 2019. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly 